This vision changed Isaiah. It changed the rest of the course of his life. But it is a vision that was not just for Isaiah. It is a vision for us. You see, you and I were created to live before the face of God. In theological terms, it's, it's called in quorum Deo, before His face. God created us to have fellowship with Him. That fellowship was broken because of sin. But Jesus Christ came to make a way to restore our connection, our communion with God. And so, the place we want to begin in this new series called Undone is to begin with an understanding that God intends for us to be in His presence, to experience Him, to know Him, to connect with Him. Now we want to begin there because chances are most of us, if we're really honest, doubt that. We believe God loves us, we believe God saved us, He sent Jesus for us. But that intimate connection somehow is reserved for people of the past or special people like Isaiah, but not for me. I pray the Lord would meet us in our unbelief and undo it so that we may enter into his presence. Now to do that, we need to look at our life and we need to explore what we're focused on. And the way I'm going to use to illustrate this to begin with are some targets. So I want you to go ahead and be a little interactive here. Go ahead and take out your right hand. Uh, If you're left-handed, I'm sorry, but this is a right-hand illustration. So just go with it. Go ahead and aim your gun right at this particular target. Some of you also at the same time have your sights set on me, and you've been longing to do that for a long time. I made, I made an illustration. I, I said something like that once at our church in Denver. And before I knew it, out of the sound booth, which was in the balcony, a Nerf dart comes zinging right at me. I checked to make sure there were no missiles up there um, before I, I said that. But if you want to shoot at me, it's okay. So go ahead and, and aim at that target. Now close both eyes and open your left eye. How many of you are aiming at the same target? Cheater. (laughs) Okay, it's easy to get off target. Let me illustrate it this way. In 2004, Matt Emmons was an Olympic athlete, and he was competing, and he was one shot away from the gold medal in the three-position rifle uh, medal round. All he needed to do was hit anywhere on the target. Something he could do in his sleep. So he lined up. He sees the target. He takes his shot. And he knows it's a good shot. I mean, he could feel it. And he's going, I've won. But there was this long pause that happened. And no score came up. And he began to wonder. And so he he raises his hand. And he asks for the the judge to to go and, and check out his score. No score. And he quickly discovered that whereas the shot he had given would have, been, would have scored an 8.1, it would have been more than enough 
by a long margin to have given him the Olympic gold medal, he shot at the wrong target. It happens sometimes. You see, it doesn't matter how good a score we get if we're aimed at the wrong target. And that is especially true spiritually. So I want to begin with this question. What is the aim of your life spiritually? What is it that you're hoping for? When you um, look at the purpose and priority of your life, what is the target you're set on? Begin to ask and evaluate those questions so that you, you see where you're aiming at. Because if it's not the right target, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to find what you're looking for. Now, a second question that I want to ask is, how often are you in awe? When you look at your life, do you have frequent moments where you are blown away with wonder? Or are they very few and far between? I think that's a really important question because it reveals the reality of where we are spiritually. If there's a drought in your awe factor, chances are it's because you're either aimed at the wrong target or you've lost sight of who God really is. And my prayer in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to begin looking at passages of Scripture, particularly in the book of Isaiah, that focus in on the greatness and majesty of God. And then from that, after we've looked to see who He really is, we're going to begin a study on prayer. Because you see, if we don't really know who it is we're praying to, we won't pray on the right target. And we won't pray in faith and in power and see God do great and awesome things. You were made for awe. So was I. God created us to be in his presence and to experience the wonder of who he is and what he has done. Whether we know it or not, the awe of every human being, the desire to be amazed, blown away, moved, and satisfied is actually a universal craving to see God face to face. It's built into us because we were created in the image of God to know Him. And so therefore, we have this longing and hunger for awe and it, it's manifest in all kinds of ways. It can be manifest in, in sporting events. We get excited about our team doing well and, and winning the championship. And, and, and we're, we're so pumped up. That's a reflection of what we were created for. That amazement, that wonder. We look for it in fulfillment in our work. We want to do things that make a difference that will be awe-inspiring. We're created with this hunger for awe. It is our lifelong pursuit. God created a world that is filled with awe. He created you and me with the capacity to recognize and enjoy the awe and wonder of what he has done. 
But where you and I look for awe will shape our life. You see, what happens is oftentimes we take our eyes off of the awe maker, God, and we try to replace his awe with self-awe. We end up taking awe for ourselves. We try to show how awesome we are. Or we look for awe in things, in accomplishments. We look for it in relationships. And God can provide moments of wonder and experience in all those areas, but not if that's where the sight of our life is pointed at. We have to point At the right target, God. Because misplaced awe keeps us dissatisfied. Every created awe is meant to point us to the creator. And no matter how much awesome stuff we have, it will never ever satisfy. Author Paul Tripp puts it this way, and and it's, it's a powerful statement. If awesome things in creation become your God, the God who created those things will not own your awe. Horizontal awe is meant to do one thing, stimulate vertical awe, to point us to him. Awe is a longing. Perhaps that doesn't seem accurate to you, but it is. And the capacity for awe that God has given us fundamentally explains the reason why so many people are dissatisfied. Because we're looking for awe in the wrong place. So, how would you rate your experience with awe? What would you like for it to be? If we aim at the right target... God will show us his greatness and his awe. So I want to propose to you that we have two different targets. We have the target of ourselves, my plan for comfort, for success, for fulfillment, or the target of Christ's glory. The target we choose will determine, wow, I don't want to lose that one. The other target would have been okay. <clears throat> the, char- the target we choose will determine the fulfillment of your life and my life. Let me, let me put it this way. Because I have a feeling that sometimes preachers like myself, we have contributed to keeping people aimed at the wrong target. How many of you have heard of i've said it so i'm confessing that up front how many of you have have heard this expression you need to invite jesus into your life yeah chances are maybe when you came to salvation that's what you were told And, and it's a good statement to a point in fact the scripture tells us in colossians um that christ in us is the hope of glory we need him we need his holy spirit in us But what I think can happen is subtly that idea of Christ in me can lead to a consumer gospel. That 
God is going to come into my life and he's going to replace all the things that are that are missing and that are empty. And he's going to give me all the things that I'm dreaming of and wanting. But you see, it's not the right target. It's a portion of the picture. But it's only a small portion of the gospel. There's a great difference between Christ come into my life and understanding that really what he has done is he has invited us into his to come into his presence, to have him be our life and the focus of all that we are and all that we do, to live for him. I want to share with you a couple of the targets that I find in the scripture before we look at this passage in Isaiah. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you've been born again, as Jesus uses the description, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, the target there is that Christ is my life. It's not just him coming into me and making my life better. Because see, what happens is suddenly we begin to think of God as a product that improves our life. And God is not a product. He is God on high. And he's inviting us into him. And we may need to make sure that we give him his rightful place. Or we will be left with an emptiness of awe. Because we are making God out less than who he truly is. Another target, Jesus' own words in John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God is eternal life. Not having, now here's what happens in this idea where we get twisted a bit with a consumer gospel is oftentimes the way that we pray and the way that we think is, is basically, God, I want you to know me. I want you to hear all the things that I'm struggling with, all the problems in my life, all the, the fears that I have, the doubts, the insecurities, and the needs that I have, because I want you to know me. The scripture tells us God knows everything about us, and he, uh, he already knows what we need before we even ask. But we're not to make him knowing us the pursuit of our life. Rather, we're to make the pursuit of our life knowing him. And that's where joy and life truly happens. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. You see, the target is Jesus himself, is his honor, is his glory. And when that becomes the pursuit of our life, amazing things will follow. So here's where, here's the main point of everything I'm going to say today. Would you be willing to pray, God, would you undo anything in me that is blocking my view of your awe? Anything about my desires, 
my sin, my selfishness, my relationships, whatever it is, anything that is blocking my view or pointing me at the wrong target rather than to see the greatness of who you are. I believe that if we both individually and as a church begin to pray that, it will refocus our lives, our prayers, our obedience, our fellowship, our love for one another, and we will see God do amazing, amazing things. So let's look at this passage of Scripture that we find in Isaiah chapter 6. Begins with these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. Now, understand this takes place in chapter 6. Isaiah is already a prophet. He has some amazing things to say in chapters 1 through 5. Some powerful truths are revealed in those verses. And we're going to look at some of them in just a moment. But something happens in this encounter with God that transforms Isaiah. He's a believer. He's already involved in ministry. But something was missing. And something I believe perhaps was blocking him from being able to really experience God fully. Let's look at some of of what he tells us. He tells us, In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, God's already working in him and speaking through him and giving him the message to give to his people. He'd already been used by God to talk about his plan of redemption and and to call people to repentance. He says this in verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. He's he's proclaiming actions that are right and that are good that should be a part of our life as we follow in obedience of God. These should be priorities in our life. But the actions themselves and the actions alone are not the right target. If that's just what we're focused on, on doing the right things, we have a tendency to become legalistic and to drift into religion rather than in a relationship with God. But he gives us the right priorities. And then he tells us the way of salvation. He says in verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Ivory snow, perhaps from last week. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Isaiah is is telling us some powerful truths that our actions should reflect who God really is and that God is the one who provides forgiveness. It's not based upon what we do, but it's based upon who he is and his forgiveness when we trust in him. Absolute truth. But there is more. There is more. What happened to Isaiah is he has an encounter with God that brings him to the absolute end of himself. When he sees God for who he truly is, 
he says, woe. Woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone. I am lost. I'm broken. Now, here's the challenge. That's the big obstacle. Most of us aren't desperate enough to say, Lord, if you need to undo me so that I can see you, do it. I confess before you, I can only pray that prayer timidly. But I want to pray it boldly. Lord, would you remove anything in me? Would you undo anything in me that is blocking my view of the greatness of who you are? Jesus quoted Isaiah more than any other prophet in any other book in the Old Testament. Time and time again, he pointed, especially the Pharisees and his disciples, back to the words of Isaiah. Because he recognized that it is our human tendency to take our eyes off of the awe maker and to become those who try to take awe as created beings. He said this to the Pharisees. He said in John chapter 12, verses 40 through 41, He's quoting Isaiah. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. He's saying this about the, um, the religious leaders of that day, of Jesus' day, because they were doing good things, right things, but they weren't coming into a a Position of humility in the presence of God. The Pharisees knew the scriptures better than you and I probably ever could dream to. And yet Jesus said, you think that by the scriptures um, you will have life, but you refuse to come to me and have life. You refuse to come to the author himself. And so they put up all of their Actions, their religious things, and those good things actually became stumbling blocks that kept them from seeing God. Our service, our actions, our own opinion of our own goodness can block us from seeing God for who He is. Now, in the case of Isaiah, and this I will confess to you is a bit speculative, but I think part of of the obstacle that needed to be removed in Isaiah's case was Uzziah. Many um, scholars believe that Isaiah, who is the son of Amos, um, and Amos is, according to rabbinical tradition, was the son of Amaziah, the king, who was also Uzziah's father. Okay? I know there's a lot of names that you probably haven't heard in a very long time and they don't make a whole lot of sense anyway. Here's the short version of that. Most likely, Isaiah and Uzziah, the guy who dies, who's the king, were cousins. Okay, They grew up in a royal household. Isaiah is a prophet, but he is of um, the tribe of Judah. He's part of the royal line. And so he would have had a relationship uh, for a long time with his cousin. 
He knew him well. And Uzziah, according to the scripture, was a very good king to a point. He was one who followed the Lord until pride got in the way. And impatience got in the way. And Uzziah went on his own initiative, on his own accord, because God wasn't acting fast enough for him. He took things in his own hand and he went into, um, into the temple And he went there to burn incense before the Lord. Something that was reserved not for the king, but for the priests. He tried to to take over and make a shortcut so that God would bless his actions. And God had been very good to Uzziah. The nation um, had thrived. They had been blessed. They had grown militarily. They had grown in in, um, material blessings. And... And for the most part of his life, he was a good king until that moment. And God humbled him. And at that very moment when he's getting ready to offer an off, um, incense there on the altar, God strikes him with leprosy. He humbles him in order to keep him from committing a sin that would have totally broken fellowship with the Lord. And Uzziah is humble. But for the most part, things had been good in the kingdom. But I have a sense that for Isaiah, he leaned a lot on the leadership of his cousin, the king. Now, I will confess that part of that is what's called eisegesis, and that I'm reading into the scripture from my own experience. I've had individuals in my life that I relied on spiritually. One of them was a dear friend of mine. His name was Rick, who who passed away several years ago. He was my mentor. He was my pastor. He was the one I relied on for all kinds of things instead of relying on God. And so here's, here's my question. Are there Uzziahs in your life, whether they're individuals or they're, or they're things that you do that are keeping you from truly seeing the Lord. You see, I believe that it's no mistake that here in the scripture, it marks out that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. There would have been grief, perhaps some desperation, uncertainty about what the future would be, and that desperation drove Isaiah to a point where he was willing to be undone. Because he knew that he needed God more than ever. Could it be that the trials, the difficulties, even the losses in your life are things that God is using and desires to use so that he can move things out of the way to have you be undone so you can see who he really is? If that's true, wouldn't it be worth it? Could that change your perspective on the trials that you face? On the disappointments from our perspective? You see, our Uzziah could be our job, our abilities, our reputation, our desire to look good in the eyes of others. Good things can rob us of seeing God. We may be successful, but if the, at the end of the day, even if we get a great score in the eyes of others, if we're aimed at the wrong target, 
what difference does it make? Maybe our Uzziah could be our opinions and our beliefs. We can be like the Pharisees and think that what I think, my viewpoint, my, my politics um, are the right ones. And I want to have fellowship with people who would agree with me. So that that confidence could be a very thing that's blocking us from seeing God for who he truly is. Our comfort can block our view of God. Entertainment, travel, stuff, they're all wonderful blessings. But they can rob us of something better. So would you be willing to pray, Lord, I want to have a sense of awe. I want to see you for who you truly are. So would you reveal to me those things that are blocking my sight of you, even the good things? And Lord, would you undo them so that I can know who you are? I want to restore my sense of wonder and awe in your presence. That's a challenge. And here's the promise. Isaiah chapter 29 says this in verse 14. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish and the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. God desires for us to see the greatness of who he is. Do you want it? Do I want it? Over the next few weeks, we're going to, today was just an introduction. We're going to look at the visions that we see about God to see what he's really like and to pray, God, I want to know you like that. I want an accurate view of you. That's where I want to set the aim of my life is on knowing you for who you truly are. Not just who I think you are, but I want to experience your presence. I put in your bulletins a prayer. And I want you to just bow your heads with me. We're going to put it on the screen and I'm just going to ask, let's take a few moments and just go before the Lord and begin to ask Him to do something in your life that reveals to you who he really is. We sang this morning, this I know, you are a great God. And Lord, our minds know that's true. Even our our spirits and our hearts know that that's true because we've seen what you've done. Those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, we know the difference that you make in our life. And yet, if we confess truly, Our view of you is so small. So would you open up our eyes? Would you restore our sense of wonder at the greatness of who you are? Because Lord, we want to see your name, your fame being proclaimed in the city of Prague, in the nation of the Czech Republic, in our families, in our workplaces, in our home countries. We want to see you Um, be revealed for all that you truly are. But it begins 
with us believing with our whole heart and seeking you with our whole heart. The promise of your word is that if we seek you with our whole heart, we will find you. We believe that promise today. So Heavenly Father, aim my heart, aim our hearts at the right target at knowing you and serving your glory. Put my sight upon your greatness and your honor. And remove whatever is blocking me from seeing you for who you truly are. Lord, may we never lose the wonder of your love, of your mercy, of your grace, of your power, of your truth. Astonish us with the wonder upon wonder so that we may see you for who you truly are and we may proclaim that you are a great God. For your name's sake, Lord, would you do it in Jesus' name.